is the Great Air Podcast or the TGA Podcast. This is another episode. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are in a very windy Cape Town this evening. Yeah, very, sure. very windy Cape Town. Like window shakingly wind. 100%. But can we say good evening, ladies and gentlemen? No, it's, it's good morning, good, really. Good yeah. whatever. It's good, good morning. Whatever. Oh, yeah, we can also say good morning because it's like 12 39 a.m. And you don't know what time whoever's listening is listening to. Good evening, morning. Yeah, yeah, sure. Etc. Etc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so great. Yeah. You sure. did this episode without me. I was uh, otherwise engaged at work, couldn't get it off. Sure. Please, please tell me. I'm super excited about this episode. Man, um, I have to say, <laughs> it's one of the incredible episodes that we have ever attended. I'm sorry one that you, most, you didn't make it. I'm like, don't. I'm yeah. really upset. What is it? Yeah, as you were saying, one of the most unique conversations. Yeah, yeah, sure. You know, it's um, Dr. Malin Wasserman, or as. Uh, she's well known as Dr. Eve, is a like clinical sexologist and couple and sex therapist specializing in cyber infidelity and contemporary intimacies. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's long. That's long, I was about to say, that's long. That is long. But that is long. Oil, no, she's a goddamn sex therapist. Yeah, man, no, she's like one of the best. She's definitely number a, one in I, CT, um, number one in Cape Town. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, and she's actually. Um, a veteran of this industry mm-hmm. in South Africa as far as I'm concerned and she's um, a you could say what's the right word can I, I'm looking for it she's like a temporary advisor to the World Health Organization yeah yeah she's a consultant to the World Health yeah, Organization yeah, and she has like she has a few branches all around the world like in the states mm-hmm. in the countries like five she's big yeah she's definitely big so everybody gotta check her out her website is Dr. Eve I'll put the link in the description. You can check her out. She's an author. She's yeah, she has wrote a few books about uh, sex and like the Dr. Eve sex book, uh, aging and sexuality, and Peter book. Like all really cool books. I'm sure you want to check. Out. And we talked about everything. Also, guys, we want to do another episode with her because I want to be in it this time. So <laughs> if you have any genuinely for yeah, any yeah. questions. Or anything that Gray and her touch on in the episode, yeah. send it in to us and we'll bring it up for yeah. the next time we have a conversation. She's keen for the next one. You know, She's so. definitely going to be our first double episode young, uh, yes. uh, double episode guest. Yeah, yeah, so that's going to be a double episode. So you throw in the questions and everything because on this one you talked about uh, monogamy and the today's, you know, culture. Don't give it all away, these people need to yeah, listen. Yeah, giving up the pinpoints. I mean, like the whole conversation is like an hour long. Uh, there's no way I can give it all up, but. You know, it's like sex, of course, and about uh, BDSM. Like some of the questions that people ask when I post it on Facebook saying, look, I'm gonna do this kind of podcast. You wanna yeah, ask some of those questions. To some of you, I didn't manage to get all the questions out because we didn't have enough time. But for next time, of course, I'm gonna be able to do all that. So I hope you enjoy this on this special day where Donald Trump Fuck Donald just Trump. became the president of the United States. We will have that conversation in the next in episode. In the next episode, yeah. But enjoy and just gotta give in one slot for our sponsors here. Image Motion is a creative boutique studio based in Cape Town. Uh, we do 3D animation, video editing, architectural visualizations, video effects, motion graphics, websites. So if your business need kind of uh, this kind of um, services for good web presence or online advertising or TV, just 
throw them an email. I'll leave the link in the description. And you can contact me directly through my website because I'm also involved in the company. So you can trust me. Otherwise, I think you enjoy the podcast with Marlin. And we'll see you on the next one. I'm out. Nice here. Everything is branded. Is branded? Yeah. Yeah. Like, is it? Did you just? Did it just happen that you got the carpet no. like that, or you had to custom it? Yeah, no, nothing is incidental in my life, Greg. Everything is well thought out with purpose. Nice. So the purpose of the um, well, the whole rooms have been designed with an architect interior designer, and it was to have sensuality because that's what. Yeah. You know, sexuality is you have different textures and fabrics and looks and smells and feels and uh, obviously wanted certain colours and the circles are to represent relationships mm. that never quite close or quite end. So they're circles which are open as you see. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they are really are representative of my work. Okay, nice. Working in relationship all the time. So what's like sort of your background? Um, My background? Yeah. Um, so I started out uh, with a undergrad in, we're recording. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. If you don't that's mind looking funny. that side. Should yeah. I talk there, not at you? E- yeah, either way. Yeah. Okay. I think you just have probably to raise your voice. My voice. Okay. Yeah. So um, I started an undergraduate degree at WITS in social work. All right. Did an honours in social work, and then I did a master's in family therapy, mm. clinical social work, and specialised in family therapy, and then practised as a family therapist for a while, and realised that this was not um, where the real problems lay in mm. with children. Children were symptomatic, are symptomatic, of um, expressions of difficulties in a relationship, and so I started working with just couples. And um, as I started working with couples, they started talking to me about sexuality. And this was before 94, 1994. So there wasn't any sex education, pornography. There was complete censorship of information around sexuality. And there wasn't a lot of research around at the time in any case. And um, it was just everything worked timelessly for me. I kind of was just really privileged, I guess, to grab the opportunities of time that presented itself. So in 94, I went um, overseas to Canada and did my first training in sex therapy. And then I started to become certified with an organization called ASECT um, as a sex and sex therapist. And then I did my doctorate in San Francisco in human sexuality. And then I started working um, in 99 Biagra came onto the market, and so there was a whole new profession called sexual medicine that was created. So I started working in sexual medicine at that time, and um, that's where I got all my training. And from there, my work has taken different, uh, diverted differently to what's interesting for me. Um, also, because, uh, so in '94, when I came back, I <clears throat> went into a radio station with a lot of cheek and just said, I want to talk about sexuality, I want to educate people in this country. And at that time, HIV AIDS was becoming a problem. It, was, it, was, it, it became obvious. And yeah. 
um, there was a need from government then as part of their new incentive to have to address HIV AIDS and so I took the gap and I kind of became a voice of sex education and it was around you know a lot of around HIV AIDS and then it was about sexual medicine and all the issues that the government was then struggling with and, and you know new constitution coming out with LGBTI rights and so I kind of was really there mm. talking about all that stuff when as it began to be emerging and um, yeah so now I have a different trajectory I'm interested in different things now I'm interested now um, since my work in cyber infidelity with my book that came out last year um, my research with that really captivated me so I'm interested in looking at what people are doing online and very much in the story of infidelity generally, online and offline. And that took me into looking at contemporary intimacies. Mm. And that is looking at the kinds of relationships that we are forming today and how we can be more creative and happy yeah. with the choices of relating and connecting and attaching that people are engaging with every day. So. That forms a huge part of my practice is people struggling with you know, relationship issues and with that always come sexual issues but I'm way more interested in their relationship dynamic. And then my interest is now in, um, is in trauma work because so many people are traumatized and they will present to me with what's called out of control sexual behavior or out of control behavior around rage, anger, anxiety, depression, and there's always a trauma that's sitting at the bottom of it. You know, we're out of control with alcohol, with drugs, with sex, um, impulsive behaviour, things that, that just really are very disturbing to us. And there's a trauma, oftentimes a childhood trauma at the core of it. So I'm currently training myself in working with um, in new interventions around managing people's out of control behaviour and the, as a result of trauma. And then the other work that I'm involved in is... Um, medical legal work. So I'm a medical legal expert and I've just completed a course in as a medical legal mediator. So I'm very much throwing myself into a new world of medical legal work um, and I'm a sexual health expert doing a lot of work um, seeing to the rights because I mean the, the basic elements of my work or the, the principles of my work are around sexual rights and um, sexual health. So Coming from that core, I'm now entering into medical legal work where people who've got personal injuries or medical negligence have a right to um, have sexual health. So that's just some of the work that I do. Mm. I'm still, um, I'm a temporary advisor to the World Health Organization. So I'm going up to Geneva in a few weeks' time to go and do more work that we've started there, working with healthcare providers, getting them to be comfortable to talk to patients about their sexual health. Mm. Oh. Yeah. So you've pretty much been um, there from the beginning, kind of, of this industry. I exactly. Guess. Well, yeah. I kind of think I pioneered it in this country. Yeah. It's kind yeah. of will be my legacy that yeah, sure. I naively just stepped into the places or created platforms yeah. and said, I really want to be educating people because of the suffering. You know, people really suffer when they have ignorance. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of sexual ignorance. There still is today, even though there's sexual sexual education so called in schools. Yeah. You know, it's so we do what we call protective and preventive behaviour. Mm. So it's really protecting people against high risks and then preventing 
um, unintended consequences uh, yeah. around sexual behaviour, whether it's out of control, or just because we're just ignorant and just don't know how to use a condom or what yeah. you should be doing in the situation. And then it comes back to relationships. Well, you know, are we are we in a relationship? Are we dating? Are we hooking up? What do we call this? Are we cheating now? Mm. So it all kind of links in together to come back to sexual health and sexual rights. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, first of all, like, what is Dr. Eve? Because if you search the best sex therapist in South Africa, you're the one that I... Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's cool. Yeah. So, uh, what is Dr. Eve? That's not your name. But no. That's just the brand. Absolutely. So, yeah. when I went into the radio station, yeah. in October of 94 and said, hey, I want to come do a radio show. Mm. They said to me, that's really cool, fabulous. I mean, mm. I've never been on a radio station in my life. That was like on a Monday. It mm. started on Friday. And they said, the only problem is that no one's going to call in and talk to Marlene Wasserman. Yeah. It's too big a mouthful and it just doesn't have any panache. You're not going to get any callers. Okay. And also we have to call you doctor because back in that day, it's kind of changed a little today, there was this thing about authority and doctors have a lot of authority. Sure. So they thought, well, people would call in if it was a doctor somebody. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't have a doctorate, you know, and I thought yeah. I was misrepresenting myself, which I didn't at that stage. I said, well, that's how it has to happen. And so I came home and I said to my kids, I've got to find a name. You know, I've got to find a name by Friday to get on radio. And then my eldest daughter, my middle child, Jess, she, we were walking through a store and we were standing in front of a jewellery store and there was jewellery and, I don't know, somehow there was Adam, there was Eve, and she said to me, Eve is such a cool name. Yeah. And I said, you got it. And that's how Dr. Eve happened. Okay. Simply like that. Went on radio on Friday yeah. and they was Dr. Eve. Yeah, they stick. It did. I mean, I had no brand building, brand management. Right. I didn't ever do any of that. The media have just been incredibly good to me and I've worked incredibly hard and have really been available to the media. Right. You know, I've had columns in every single magazine this country's ever produced in 25 years. Okay. And now I really work more internationally, getting my voice out. I have a New York-based column online as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm much more interested in, I do workshops and training there. and. Um, only here, yeah. So we're quite international, you know. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, what to start with? What exactly are people doing wrong, like sexually, in, yeah. uh, in the area of relationships, as you say, like hooking up and all these kind of? What are they doing wrong? Yeah. What is it that you that is obvious to you that a lot of people are doing wrong? But that is just like tradition or something like that. Yeah, I like it you use the word tradition. Yeah. We're stuck, and I think your generation is like stuck in this place of uncertainty, mm. of like, what is our status between the traditional yeah. and our automatic responses of traditional commitment and monogamy and fidelity, mm. and then the resistance to that. Like, no, man, you know, I don't really want to do that. I'm too young. Mm. I don't want to have this thing called commitment yet. So it still is this, this, this conundrum of, negotiation which doesn't really happen so some of the women are like well okay you know we could be do friends with benefits and then the research will show and even hook up well she actually just really wishes that you know the guy will call the next day even though in that moment and there's obviously a lot of alcohol involved it's cool you know we let's hook up we're consensual around that and 
I'm in agreement, I don't need your number, I don't need you to call me, I don't need to see you. Or, okay, we'll kind of hook up every now and then. Yeah. And then we'll see other people in between. Sure. But then there's still this instinctive need to feel special or to feel cared for or do I really want that? Or mm, actually, no, I don't. I'm just kind of happy with that real complication need. But sex is supposed to like, be this big special thing and you're supposed to only have one person in your life and but I really feel that way. I just want to have more than one person in my life. Mm. Well, I kind of have got an online person that I'm 16 and I'm sleeping with you in real life and I'm hanging out with you. So it gets kind of confusing. And the, the mistake is that we're not really talking about that. Yeah. You know, we're not, it's not setting what I call boundaries and going into these setups because I don't call them relationships because mm. relationships have a traditional expectation around it and people yeah. don't want that stuff. It's just like these attachments or connections we're not really talking about what the boundaries are. It's like, we really need to talk about this. This is really cool if I see you tonight, mm. but I'm not promising you anything tomorrow. So we have to use protection and we have to have to use prevention. And even if we're having sex with each other, you know, every week, it, we still have to use protection because I may be having sex with other people in between as well. Mm. And those conversations aren't happening. And right. that's why we still have HIV. The yeah. incidence is still increasing. Sure. Yeah. So... Uh, to that extent, now in your experience, uh, uh, what has changed from the time that you started, <laughs> like back in '94? Back in the day. Back in the day. Yeah. To now, when we have internet and all of this kind of thing, like, what are the dynamics that change in between? Yeah, I've again privileged to have been witness to mm -hmm. this country's change over the, you know, since '94. How many years is that? Twenty-two years or so. Yeah. Um, when I started doing radio, I was on. Radio Metro for seven years, right. and Radio Metro is a 99% black radio station with you know huge numbers of people, yeah. and they would call in and tell me then that I was when I would talk about masturbation yeah. or LGBTI issues that I was bringing white culture in, and this is not what happened to black people, mm. and I was really vilified. I was really like, get out of here. Yeah. You know, yeah. this is bad stuff that you're telling us black people. Mm. This is not what we do. And then there would be the joy of, you know, a very brave black man phoning in and saying, actually, no, I'm gay. Yeah. Or then, you know, a black woman would phone in and say, well, actually, no, I masturbate. Yeah. And so I didn't need to do that and say, well, culture really counts, but mm. culture doesn't matter what culture you are. We're all kind of human and we're all practicing the same yeah. sexual behavior with cultural overlays to it. So that's you know changed significantly now, where there's more ownership of that. Mm. Um, there is uh, the human rights and sexual rights movement has developed significantly in the 22 years, um, and that has shown in in how we behave. So there's much more freedom, and people feel more liberated to be able to be expressive around their sexuality. Yeah. Uh, and I, when I work and I work a lot in New York, there is so much conservatism. Yeah, I'm always like really proud of how I have freedom mm. of radio, freedom of television to talk about what I want. We have much more freedom yeah. to talk in this country than mm. in most other countries, which is really you know, quite wonderful. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know, huge conservative conservatism. So we're going to see tomorrow in the election. It'll come out, I'm sure. But you yeah. know, we have termination and we just have really fabulous constitution. That doesn't mean that our attitudes have changed. It doesn't mean that we are more tolerant of LGBTI people, mm -hmm. but we're protected. So that's made a huge difference to people. 
so that's you know that's that part in terms of culture and seeing huge growth in terms of people coming forward and talking out and taking ownership of their sexuality and, and really claiming their right to pleasure because that's a strong message that I, I mm-hmm. push all the time, it's your right to pleasure because it's part of a declaration of sexual rights that we put together. So that's you know very nice. Um, if you're asking around change of behavior uh, with online, I mean, that's again, I've been privileged to be part of that revolution. Sure. You know, it's like the printing press came out and suddenly people were reading newspapers. So here we have the internet and suddenly our behavior has changed mm. remarkably. Um, which is what my research was all about, the, the fascination of how our communication changed, our boundaries around what is ethical and not ethical behaviour, how the internet has allowed us to be expressing and exploring parts of ourselves that we never would explore in real life if we didn't have the internet sure. because of what's called the AAA engine. It's affordable, it's accessible, it's anonymous, so you can be whoever you want to be and there is much more freedom online to be doing all the sexting, chatting, mm-hmm. and mostly finding communities of people where you feel very alone and you feel you're the only one with a particular kind of sexual fetish or sexual question, and you find a community and that gives you relief of shame, and that's you know, quite wonderful. So it's, um, it's, it's brought enormous freedom, but new conundrums yeah. of what are we in here? What kind of connection is this? Is this real? Yeah. This, is this significant? Mm-hmm. Um, and the cheating thing, which is what you know, I've been fascinated with, is this cheating. And working with the pain, enormous pain that people have found um, as a result of finding a partner online. Mm. So yeah, that's kind of some of the stuff. Yeah, definitely. It's been a quite a, sneak, a significant change, I think, I guess, with like the online world. Kind of, uh, you said the press. Yeah. Yeah, that like, I, I came through the internet ages, so I'm yes. not familiar with that. But yeah. yeah. I read somewhere, uh, like a post somewhere, say people, uh, nobody jerks off the magazines anymore. That uh, you have your phone and nobody actually knows what you look at anymore, which is like your whole privacy and search and find exactly what you need without having to uh, to have magazines where every, anybody could see exactly right. what you're trying to find out. Yeah. It's just kind of exciting. It is exciting, yeah. yeah, that you have this private world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then it brings in a conundrum with, with if you're in a coupleship, mm-hmm. which is a lot what I work with, is how much is your right to privacy? Yeah. And how much is your, your right, or how much should you be sharing with a partner? Mm-hmm. And people get really stuck there. You know, yeah, like, yeah, like sure. I have a right to be having a chat with somebody on Facebook without having to tell you. You're yes. laughing because you can relate to that, right? 100%, yeah. Yeah. And I, do I have a right to chat to my ex on Facebook? Mm. Or you know, you're going to tell me I'm cheating? Yeah. So it's brought out a whole new pain body mm-hmm. that we never knew yeah. we could possibly be entering into. So in your opinion or in your experience, what do you think is the right... Um, parameter of privacy to say, do you have to keep your password on, on your phone, if you have a partner? You know, you know, I'm just looking at you horrified because I think you you have to be a mature adult to yeah. be able to be in a connection with somebody. Mm-hmm. And that means that you yourself have got good self-esteem and you yourself have got good trust with yourself and, right. and feel confident in yourself. You will then not have the need to be invading or feeling threatened by your partner's password. 
Oh, oh yeah, so what is wrong there? Is it the password or not? Oh, the one you're looking for for the phone to, to find the password is like, where is your password? You should not be accountable to somebody around your password if you choose to have a password on your phone. Yeah. Fuck, that's what you have. Is your password on your sure. phone, you know? Yeah. And I think that if there is a sense between the two of you that there is trustworthiness mm. and that you're not hiding anything, then, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, if you've got a password on your phone, I mean, I think I have a password on my phone. I would never imagine going to my partner's phone and wanting to check that out. Or it's not because, and I wouldn't want anyone to look at my phone, not because I've got anything to hide. Mm-hmm. It's because, like, my wallet, it's like my purse. It's yeah. like, why would you go inside there? Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to know something, come and ask me. Yeah. But if people, are protective around that and people are and many people are then you you build suspicion so it really depends on the relationship that you have with your with your device yeah and if you're going to be acting in a way that's kind of creepy and it's secretive mm-hmm. you you you're opening yourself up to be have a partner suspicious sure so you know it's like sharing if you've got nothing to hide mm-hmm. what is the deal yeah. so you know you don't need to go and invade somebody and feel like a kid He's breaking into a cookie jar and feel mm. shameful that you have to do that. It shouldn't happen that way. Sure. But the truth is, and, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm, I'm learning and practicing trauma work, we all come from places of trauma and we're not confident and mm. we're not secure and we don't feel safe. And so when there is a password, we immediately feel we're excluded. And that also makes us feel really unhappy. Uh, we also have been taught that relationships are about disclosure exactly that's what I was about ah, have you got that have you learned that as well yeah just like I mean the conventional yeah. idea of idealistic way of relationships it's just like everything you know full disclosure like everybody has to know everything which is I don't know if that's practically doable I don't know I mean I, I just love that that it, at your age there is still these same traditional messages that are coming through to you mm. around relationships which are pretty toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the word is, is intimacy. Oh, okay. And what the word intimacy means is disclosure. And there is this traditional belief that to be really intimate, you have to have full disclosure of everything about you to a partner. And so, why? What is the benefit of that? Mm-hmm. The, if there is a benefit to disclosure, you, of course you want to be disclosing the, the things that you feel obviously you're not going to be hiding stuff that are essential sure. but it does not mean that every single thought every single idea that you have and we have them all the time has to be shared with the, with the partner or else yeah. you're not in a good healthy intimate relationship a good healthy intimate relationship is a matter of you taking responsibility and deciding what it is that needs to be filtered through mm-hmm. not because you're keeping secrets you know, there's a huge difference secrets are never good for a relationship yeah. Never. But you really do not have to have full disclosure around every thought you're having. Mm. So at what level do people actually can't come to see you? What happens? What prompts the idea of actually saying, look, I need to see a, a therapist? Yeah. Mm. Uh, you were going to say sex therapist, and I think you're listening to me and you realize that it's more around, about sex. Uh, around sex. Um, so people come here for different reasons. Mm. Um, the fact that I have in my title, sex therapist, right. I think it gives people a lot of permission to come here and to talk about sexuality. Sure. Um, so I mainly work with couples, 
and they will present with the wine branch of my work is just pure sexual medicine. So it will be people who have um, illnesses, which is like diabetes, cardiovascular disease, depression, um, and they will present with erectile dysfunction or some kind of pure sexual dysfunction, um, hormonal problems, menopausal women, women who've got um, vaginismus, which is real common, young women who are unable to have penetration um, and struggle and have an incredible, incredible difficulty with painful penetration. So those are pure sexual medicine issues, and those are I have a team of people who I work with: urologists, gynecologists, psychiatrists, endocrinologists, who I would work with around restoring um, sexual health to them. But there's always, always an underlayer relationship because no matter what illness is going on, whether it's cancer, there is always going to be relationship issues. So I will refer the medicine part out and work with the relationship part. And then the majority of my practice is filled with regular couples who may present with a sexual problem such as I am not interested in being sexual or I have less interest in being sexual or I will have a man who says I ejaculate too quickly or I'm having real difficulties maintaining erections and there isn't any physiological reason why he should be having it. It's purely relationship issue. Um, so that would be focusing really on the relationship. So my work is around relationship with self and relationship with other. So the work is very much around the dynamic, the difficulty of, of, of a couple trying to negotiate some kind of relationship. Lots of infidelity, lots of cyber infidelity, lots of just regular infidelity, um, lots of um, you know conflict difficulties, just really struggling to find a place where they can negotiate a relationship. Sure. Threesomes, opening up to polyamory, because you know I'm, I'm talking and this is my area of interest now, um, people who are saying, well, you know, we were in the jacuzzi and I really had fun with my girlfriend and what does that mean? Yeah. Um, so, you know, people exploring other forms of relationship, um, but really struggling with the conundrums that I've spoken about in terms of do we open up our relationship. I'm doing my radio show tomorrow on something called crushes. Right. You know, it's fascinating for me. What's fascinating about, you know, married people who have crushes on other people, people who are in significant relationships, have crushes on other people because it raises up all the issues again of is this infidelity? Should we be acting out on it? Should we be telling our partner? And then the other issue of what it keeps coming back to the same thing of like, Traditional relationships are not viable. Mm-hmm. People are looking for other distractions. And how do we manage that while still staying married? Mm-hmm. But how do we manage these crushes or these online flirtations without causing pain to our partner? Now, that's really what I'm interested in. Right, yeah, that's got a big subject. Um, so to, to a number of people that come to you for um, uh, to, to see you with uh, relationship problems, mm-hmm. What what are the the chances that they will be able to sort out the relationships and still be okay long term, or it's just gonna crash? So if we look at research, because I work always with evidence, mm-hmm. um, the impact of therapy is from the time that you end, you it'll last. The impact will last about three months, and you need more sessions, and you probably would have some longevity around that. Uh, the it depends on kind of what interventions that you're using, how happy 
or what the success is going to be. Sure. Um, people come here in incredible pain. And the pain is often caused by out-of-control behavior, as I've said earlier, which is, I'm repeating myself, why I'm investing work in training myself as a trauma therapist, mm-hmm. is the trauma will manifest itself where there's abuse. So he will be abusive towards her. Okay. And so I do a lot of work you know, with women in abuse, men and women in abuse, and he will have incredible road rage or will find that he's incredibly out of control with his spending or with his anger. What we call, he's not able to regulate his own emotions and it'll manifest itself with like sex workers or masturbation that feels completely out of control for him. Um, And there's a huge amount of pain around that. So the work for me then is it's presented as a couple of problems, but I'll work with the man and really put him through a process of teaching him how to regulate his, his brain and how to regulate his emotions. And then they have a better chance of having a relationship that's viable. So it's not just ordinary relationship work where you just get a couple to communicate. I go really deep with people who and get to the core of their traumas and teach them how to regulate, how to breathe, mm-hmm. how to do yoga. How to do beautiful things so that you're able to communicate. Because sure. if you are so anxious and so freaked out, and you're drinking too much alcohol, you're doing too much drugs, mm-hmm. I know there's a problem there. So I've got to kind of get you to have control of your emotions because you're never going to be able to relate. You're never going to be able to be sexual. You won't be able to intimately connect unless we can get your brain quiet. Yeah. And that's what I do. All right. So uh, definitely, I guess, yoga and um, oh, meditation yeah. and things like that. Absolutely, works. absolutely. You know. um, there are so many beautiful initiatives of doing like, yoga with street children. Mm. Kids who are out on the street, you know, completely traumatized, getting them just to learn how to stall their brains. Because that's, you know, that's the biggest freak out for all of us. That's why people drink, I mean, you know, young people your age. Mm. There's so much anxiety, there's so much stress. How do we manage what's going on in our worlds? Yeah. And so we escape. And one of the escapes is sex. Mm-hmm. Why does it say alcohol? Drinking. How much um, does trauma affect your life, like early trauma or mm. any, any kind of trauma? That's a great question. That's, like, that's the essence of what I'm, I'm working with. There is this, you know, this beautiful new research that is out and um, is teaching us that um, early childhood trauma and by that, the definition of that would be uh, abuse of any kind, right. neglect, and abandonment. Rewise your brain. So it gets your brain to go into a different way of responding into the world. And kids who are brought up under those difficulties, and we in South Africa have got one in three girls and one in five boys who have been sexually violated as children. One in five boys and... One in three girls. One in three girls. Okay. And more boys mm. under the age of 15 are violated sexually than girls. Oh. Yeah. So we have a population of people who are traumatized. Right? Yeah. So these kids grow up with brains that are diff- differently wired than a kid who isn't exposed to trauma as a child. Mm. And they live their worlds responding to that brain, which is 
what's called hyper-aroused and hyper-alert. And these are the kids who will be have out-of-control behaviour at school, distracted, they're labelled as ADD, they're defiant, they become delinquents, they drop out mm-hmm. because they've been witness to or experienced trauma themselves. And they have an inability to be intimate and to connect mm-hmm. and to be sexual in a healthy way. So they end up with me here as adults, freaked out, yeah. freaked out, and they've been medicated and pathologized and told that they're you know, ill and they need all this medicine. But really, if you just do the trauma work, you know, or put into addiction clinics, yeah. you know, 12 steps, um, and that's not useful. That's right. I, didn't, I had no idea that like those are the numbers. I I would assume I always assume that most girls are traumatized at an early age sexually. Yeah. Never thought of boys as well. Right. Mm. That's not good to know. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, most violence in our country is male on male. Yeah, sure. That's true. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you get all these young guys who end up in emergency ward, which sure. is go hospital over a weekend. Mm-hmm. And what is that about? Yeah, that is about young people who are just so freaked out mm. that anything will trigger them into yeah. rage sure. because their brains are on fire. They are so terrified. They're living in anxiety. And so they drink and they would go into the, into the drugs and sexual behavior, which is so toxic for them because they just can't bear the anxiety. So, uh, speaking of drinking, yes. what level would you measure as healthy or unhealthy that's like out of control? Or how, okay, there we go. how would you define, how does one get into drinking? Mm. Uh, how much of it do you think is prompted by trauma or, mm. or just self-esteem? Yeah, yeah. we've we got to look at it in terms of, of ages. So, mm. every teenager is going to drink. Right. They've got to do that. Mm. It's part of what you do as a teenager. You experiment. That's mm. what your brain tells you to do. You want to try new things. Mm. So you're going to try sex, drugs, rock and roll. I mean, that's kind of what you do. But if you have a trauma, a childhood trauma, you are way more vulnerable to forming an a addiction, an attachment to alcohol because you realize this is an escape. Sure. So there's, I mean, it's a familial disease. Alcohol is a disease as well. Mm. And there's never blame or shame around it. There is um, an unfortunate huge number of people who once they start drinking or start taking drugs, they just respond to it because it's an addictive situation that's going on genetically with them. Sure. Um, for young people going through your teens, 20s, alcohol is a social cultural norm. Mm-hmm. So you're going to respond to that and you're going to, you're going to have a lot of peer pressure and you're going to drink. So that's kind of normative. But if you find that you are drinking to escape, bad feelings mm. or insecurity or like I've got to have a few drinks before I go out tonight or I've got to get totally motherless every time I go out or I'm binge drinking or I'm unable to feel as if I can control my alcohol that's sure. problematic yeah. that's problematic if you turn into alcohol to soothe bad feelings mm. problematic so for for a lot of people like people in their 20s or in their 30s um, how what what is the ratio of people having good relationships and what is the definition of a good relationship to you like a healthy well be a healthy relationship yeah so when you are younger obviously in your teens you are instinctively primed to 
go out and spread your semen as much as you can and for women to collect as much semen as they can. It's just mm. a primal urge to be able to procreate. Sure. So there's a huge need for diversity and for um, having you know, multiple sexual partners. That's how it is. Um, as you get older, you find that you are wanting to have attachments. Um, and what would be a healthy attachment? To secure people who come from secure families. And yeah, even though the statistics show us that's the majority of people, I don't get to see that. You know, I see a skewed population of people. So healthy relationships are people who, as I've described, have a secure sense of self, who have a sense of being alive in the world, meaning they can experience their own passion, their own pleasure, and have an ownership of self, of being able to know this is what I like, this is what makes me happy, and being able to affect that in the world functionally, to be independent, but also have an ability to attach in a way that is healthy, meaning it's called interdependent. I have my time, I have my space, and you have your time and space, and we also are able to be intimate in a joint space together, but we don't have to be joined at the hip around that. So those are your ideal healthy relationships that people still can maintain independence and freedom um, and grow substantially through the container of a relationship. Mm. I always tell my couples that's the purpose of relationship is that it gives you this wonderful, safe, secure environment where two people are able to really become the best that they can be within that space because there is a mutual desire, support for growth of each person as an individual. And then for companionship, for shared values, for shared goals in life. So uh, speaking of that, like, at what age do you think it's healthy for one to be to feel like they need to be attached or to get attached or for longer relationships? Yeah, you know, I don't like numbers and I certainly couldn't even begin to answer that. Um, one looks at um, social circumstances, political, economic, social circumstances. Sure. And if you look at kids today who are AIDS orphans, 12 years old, mm-hmm. raising kids on their own, um, either their own or brothers, sisters, and they form attachments. They form help, you know. They form attachments, even though emotionally they they cannot bear the responsibility of those emotions. Sure. But they're in attachments that may be very important for them, that they need the support, whether emotionally or financially. So who are we to say that that's an unhealthy thing to do? Mm-hmm. We are um, we are social creatures. The brain's primary goal yeah. is to have a social network. So people who are depressed and isolate those are very unhappy people who are unable to be sociable when we raise children then the first thing we do is teach them how to be sociable because that's how you survive in the world Mm -hmm. social skills so one at any I never undermine the um, not the importance the value that a teenager will place on feeling in love with somebody of course you feel in love you know, we, parents will dismiss it and say, oh, it's just a crush. Yeah. Oh, it's nonsense. But it's not. Mm. We have a deep need, and it's instinctively just people, to form attachments. Yeah. So we do at any age, and they're different. Yeah. Uh, what I do find is that we're driven to form attachments for the wrong reasons. Yeah. And that's often where we get really hurt, that we attach because of a need or insecurity or loneliness or rebound. And then I, you know, think a lot about 
work a lot with, with the pain of termination. Yeah. Terrible pain of termination of relationships. That even when there is an online relationship, which is interesting, and you never meet, yeah. that person disappears. You feel the loss. Yeah, sure, that's true. Yeah? Yeah. People feel that, even if there isn't face-to-face contact because there's such deep intimacy online. Mm-hmm. So I always want us to be mindful of who we attach to mm-hmm. because terminations are so sore. I was about to get to that. I'm like, I personally think that most people that are relation, in relationships, especially around my age, it's more like a binary option of saying, look, it's either I completely be alone or I should just, even if they're not happy with the other person, but it's oh. it's a model of, it's either I should be alone um, or I should just take her shit or his shit and just live with it just so that I'm in a kind of relationship. And that's my observation. That's what, what and, I and why is that, Gray? I mean, is it because it feels terrible to be alone? I don't I, I think, uh, personally to me, it's, it's a matter of choice. I feel like if one has to be in a relationship or I have to be, must be in a position where I have choices of being in relationships or whatever term it is mm. with other people, but then I choose this one person because mm. I'm absolutely happy with them. Mm. You know, for, for mm. myself, that's how I said. Mm. But I think there's a lot of relationships out there that are just like one is afraid to be alone, that if they yeah. detach, they probably don't have any other choice, pretty much. Exactly. So we come back to the core self that is mm. so needy. Yeah, sure. And is so afraid of being alone mm. that you rather experience the pain of being with somebody who doesn't make you completely happy and, in fact, might be abusive and toxic than sure. the pain of being alone. And I agree. I mean, it's what most people, not most, many people choose that. Yeah. That they compromise their happiness because the pain of being alone and shameful and fearful yeah. is so huge that they're choosing that pain. Mm. So what are the outcomes of experimentation before a committed relationship or people that have not experienced as much relationships mm-hmm. with many people and just go to do one person at one point? Yeah. And versus people that have had so many casual or long-term relationships? You know, there isn't any measurement or research that's saying, well, if you only stay with one person your whole life, you're going to be happier. Mm -hmm. It's so uniquely individual um, that if you are somebody who has multiple partners and then choose... It's so varied today because we have so much choice. So you could be going through a stage where you have one-night stands or just, you know, hookups just... And then you one of them becomes somebody special or somebody else becomes somebody special sure. and then you're in that for a while for however long or for years um, and then it no longer feels happy and people are then detaching or cheating mm-hmm. or saying let's open it up and let's get the crush in mm-hmm. or let's do something else around it where back in the day it was the binary model yeah. either you were married or else you were single mm-hmm. that's what it was today people don't want to leave marriage. They are looking for ways of making marriage work, which is what I love doing with people. Sure. It's how can this work? You know, we're companions. We're not unhappy. Um, we're satisfied enough, but we actually, we're kind of greedy. We want more, or we want to still be having interaction with other people, which might be emotional, intellectual, sure. or it might just be purely sexual. So uh, there was a piece of research that I read recently of a group of older women 
who were in the 70s. Sure. And they looked at their, um, their level of sexual satisfaction. And they did it as a control group. And they took a cohort of women who were in relationship and were in just a closed relationship. Mm-hmm. And they measured the sexual satisfaction compared to a group of women who were married but had open relationships, meaning that they were being sexual with other people. Yeah. And they looked at the level of happiness between the two. And the women who were in the open relationships were happier than the women who were in the closed traditional mm-hmm. relationships at wow. age 70 plus. Ah, age 70 plus? Yes. Okay. How often does it happen that people in the 70 plus would say, look, let's make open? Absolutely. I mean, there's much more freedom when you're older. Yeah. You care okay. less about, you know, yeah. you care less about what other people think about you. Mm-hmm. And so, do okay. that. Yeah. so if you have to add that to like people in their 30s or 20s or 40s, oh, so do you think it would make a positive difference? You've got different um, different stages. So in your 20s, or definitely today, 30s, 40s, you are career-driven and you're kid-driven. So mm-hmm. if you build in a family, then you're going to be, I mean, you'll cheat, you've got high incidence of cheating, but you're much more invested in trying to keep this family together uh-huh. because you're building, you know, with kids. Sure. When you're 50, you're different. When you're 16, it's different. You know, yeah. you don't have kids to worry about. It's like, what do I want? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I can do what I want now. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Awesome. Um, so speaking of um, your thoughts on monogamy, what exactly do you think now, or like polygamy or monogamy right now, these days? Yeah, after all the research that I've done about it. Mm-hmm. So what my research into cyber infidelity is, I asked that, you know, yeah. are there still traditional beliefs around that? And um, um, People to a T, if you ask everybody globally, mm-hmm. and I had five different countries in my study, do they believe in monogamy? Everybody says yes. Okay. Absolutely, as, as, a, as, a, as a value. Yeah, yeah, sure. People believe in monogamy and sexual fidelity mm-hmm. and commitment. We all do. Yeah. But we're behaving differently. So there's a, dis- there's a disconnect between sure. our cognition, our belief system, mm-hmm. and then our own behavior around that. Um, what maybe I can answer it differently and say that um, the cheating is so painful. It, it's kind of, it's been one of the most sobering realizations for me. Um, and I work a lot with abuse, and that's incredibly painful, and trauma, and hearing you know, terrible trauma stories, and hearing terrible stories and working with couples with you know, enormous abuse and with women. Yet the pain of infidelity is a unique pain that cuts so deep in people's lives that monogamy and avoiding avoiding cheating is something I really recommend okay. really want to avoid cheating so I would much rather that a couple decide let's be honest and say I want to go for a happy ending massage once a month mm. and it's like okay cool but at least you're not cheating on me alright oh, okay. no, that's, a, that's a point right there yeah. 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 there's a difference you could Huge. do the same thing if it's not open, you're not open about it. I think that's what. That's what the hurt is. Yeah, the yeah, secrecy sure. is what hurts people. Oh. The feeling excluded, the feeling betrayed, mm. that's what hurts the most. Finding online that your partner is chatting to somebody mm. and maybe in a way that they don't chat to you, mm. it, it's like taking a knife and putting it into your heart again. Mm. It's so, so bad. 
it's like a totally different pain mm. to abuse or to trauma. But it's, it is a trauma. Okay. But then how does one take it? I assume people take it differently, of course, but like in your experience, how do you see that plays out when one say, look, um, want to go for a massage and have an ending at last or I'm chatting to this person on Facebook? Mm-hmm. How does that, how, how, what is the response to that for most people? Yeah, so most people are primed to say, I don't like that, I feel like you're cheating on me, I want you only to chat to me, whereas I would like the response to be, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. Mm-hmm. And then you sharing some of that and saying, hey, you know, this, look what this person said, yeah. or leaving it open. Oh, because if you've got sure. something to hide, yeah. you know, why have you got something to hide? Well, is it because your partner defines it as cheating? So your first task always as part of your boundary work with me, getting to situations which are significant, what are our boundaries? If I am chatting to somebody on Facebook and I put a flirty smile emoticon, with the, that doesn't mean I'm flirting with that person, or I'm flirting, but that doesn't mean I love you less. It doesn't mean that I'm wanting to be with her or him. It just means that this is a flirtatious remark. But sure. you, you don't want to do it with her best friend, because yeah. then that's crossing a boundary. Yeah. Do you want to do it with your ex? It's like, hey, I'm chatting to my ex. Oh, okay, well, how's he or she doing? So you're sharing it, but you're not opening it up and saying, sure. come and read every message because you're not a kid. Yeah. But there's an awareness that's happening that you should be able to chat to an ex, but say, hey, this is what happened. This is, this is what we're chatting about. Or keep them in the loop of it yeah. so that there isn't a feeling of being completely excluded in an ideal world. You yeah. Know? In an ideal world. So what are the things that you think most people do that are like, they think it's maybe positive to do on a relationship, but you think they're pretty much poisonous, as in that being one of the behaviors being want to check one's password. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that if you are going to limit, cut freedom Mm. of somebody, they're toxic, absolutely toxic. Right. You should not be saying to somebody, hey, listen, I don't like to hang out with your mates every Thursday night. Um, I really just want you to spend every time, you know, all the time with me. Mm. Toxic. Um, I don't want you to be going to dinner with your family on Sundays because that's our time. Mm. Toxic. Um, and then the toxic nature of relationships will be when somebody is verbally abusive, emotionally abusive, sexually abusive in that relationship and controlling and um, not, not communicating well. It's always a problem, obviously, for all of us. But yeah, those are the real toxicities is when, there is, when there is abuse. What do you think prompts that behavior of saying, of control, of like, look, you cannot do that, mm. you can't hang around with her or him, mm. yeah. you're gonna have to be here at this time, blah, blah, blah. The controlling behavior, yeah. it's a, you know, insecurity, right. and it's, uh, not having a good core sense of self. Um, and then also believing that that's where relationships are supposed to be. So just not being educated around it. It doesn't mean I love you less if I'm going to be hanging out with my friends or we yeah. don't have to spend 24-7 together. In fact, that'll be the end of the relationship if we do. It gets too boring. Mm. So, Any hacks on one, how one can work on this effort still to probably eliminate that behavior? Finding what makes you feel alive in the world. Taking responsibility for your own independent passions and activities. A relationship will die if you have two people who are not interesting, Mm -hmm. who are not bringing in stuff that feeds 
the relationship, which means you have to feed yourself, you have to be an interesting person. You know, the other big conundrum, as you're talking now, is what do I do with my... If you are getting to... You agree getting into a relationship with somebody and you have women who are friends. Let's just say you're in a heterosexual relationship. Sure. And you have women who are friends of yours and your new female official partner says, you know what, I don't like you hanging out with your girlfriends mm. anymore. I mean, that's like, ouch. You know, do you yeah. just get rid of a whole lot of people because they don't like it? So how do you manage it? When you want to introduce your girlfriend mm. to your girlfriends, that's, you, know, you have to do that. Yeah. So that she knows who they are and she, she doesn't feel threatened and that there's some kind of connection that she forms with these women as well. So when you say, hey, you know what, I'm going for breakfast, brunch, walk on the beach with so-and-so, they get it, they know it. There's a boundary around it, there's an accountability. You come back and say, oh, you know what's going on in her life? You, you share so that they always feel as if they're part of it, but you also have the freedom to still continue some kind of friendship. Right. I guess the reaction to that definitely depend on one's self-esteem again. You yeah. know, if they feel threatened by the other girls or guys, then it will still be like, ah, you know. Mm. But it also would depend like, on your behavior, oh, how, right. sure. how, how, how ethical you are and sure. how honest you are yeah. and how sharing you are. And if you're going to keep it private and secretive, mm. there's going to be suspicion. So what are your thoughts on people that choose to be single all the time? Because I think there's like a, especially towards women, there's a negative um, vibe around people and how they think on women that choose to be single and having multiple relationships. Then the same with guys, but there's less uh, stigma. stigma for guys as to girls. So there's a stigma to women who choose to be single. Yeah, and just have like multiple relationships, casual or short term. Right. So, yeah. so I mean, this this breaks my heart. That we still have this, you know, the shame, the slut shaming of women. Hundred percent, yeah. That she's um, she's not allowed to have the same privilege as men. Mm-hmm. And you're so young. I mean, you got to spread the word that this is just so sexist and so patriarchal and bad. Yeah. But it's it's not going to stop real soon. But mm-hmm. still, there should be an awareness around this that a woman get this reputation thing. Yeah, sure. And it's it's just so hard for them to manage that. So I just hope that you know, woman. Wear it with pride and mm. have the right sure. to be conducting themselves in any which way that they choose to. As long for me, as long as they've been sexually healthy and mm. they're using condoms and they're using lube yeah. and they're regularly just taking care of their sexual health. Because actually, in guys, when a guy's having multiple women, it makes him proud yeah. and everybody's happy, kind of happy for him. He's like his friends. He's the plan. He's the man. He's the man. Yeah, and for the for women, it's different. It's kind of like mm. an awkward. Mm. If you think about it logically, mm. there is a suspicion around it. Sure, sure, sure. And it's not logical thinking. But yeah. It is so societally embedded that yeah. it's heartbreaking because women really suffer because of that. And, and men in turn will suffer if they're in relationships with men because these women will just kind of be um, resentful. Sure. Towards men for having to be squeezed, squeezed, squeezed into this box yeah, yeah. of what's normal for them. Just out, just out of curiosity, though, how are women 100% as capable as men to deal with the, uh, uh, the concept of having multiple relationships endlessly? How comfortable are women to do yeah, for themselves? Yeah, to what level can, can mm-hmm. they take it? Because I've read some stuff, I don't know how researched it is, but 
kind of say women kind of go towards having more connection yeah. than men. Yeah, that's why I said earlier that even when women participate consensually sure. in um, multiple hookups or friends with benefit situation, mm. there is still research shows there is there is with women a bigger need than with the men to have further connection with this person. Where for a man it's easier, you know. He's he's done it kind of yeah. had his orgasm and is able to disconnect. Mm-hmm. But for women it's a it's a connection that may be ongoing. Not because she wants to like him or be in a relationship with him. It's just an almost innate need to let's do this again, let's see if something will come from this. We can't fight what evolution does. Sure. That's how women are primed. So yeah. we shouldn't judge them for that. Yeah, yeah. But of course they have capacity to also just have one night stand and say, thanks, I'm done. Mm. Definitely. Right. So I don't want to waste too much of your time. It seems like we can talk forever. <laughs> um, yeah, going to sexual behavior now, there's has been many questions from the listeners yeah. to these subjects. Uh, first of all, you mentioned orgasm. We'll start yeah. with that. Yeah. Uh, female orgasm. Is it true that not all women actually get it? Yeah, that's a brilliant question. I've just been working this week with a couple that just broke my heart again. Of the pain and the um, conflict that it brings when there's ignorance around female orgasm. And the pain is that there is still an expectation in men and women that vaginal orgasms have to happen for women. That men have to last 15, 20 minutes, which is how long it takes for a woman to become orgasmic under optimal conditions. All and right. he has to last 15, 20 minutes inside a vagina thrusting mm-hmm. so she can have an orgasm. Uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. So vaginal orgasms are not something that men and women should be striving for at all because they really, really happen. Clitoral orgasms is what is normal, what happens for women. So that's where the action needs to be, on the clitoral area, mm. not so much focusing on the vagina. You know, I know that it's kind of what men dig, mm. and that's where they get most of their stimulation and friction, but it's not, it's not where it happens for women. And you, you've got to get that message out mm. so that women don't feel ashamed. Like it's like I will work with a couple and, or a woman and she'll say, I don't have any orgasms. And I'll say, well, tell me what happens when you masturbate. She'll say, oh, I have them all the time. So, you know, she's able to have clitoral orgasms, but feels that that's not good enough, that's not valued, Mm. and the shame of not having this vaginal orgasm. And then the man is pressured to have to have these ejaculations, which Mm. are delayed and delayed and delayed for 15, 20 minutes. And, I mean, it's ridiculous to put him under that pressure. Mm. So there's a real mismatch, and it causes a lot of pain. Oh, that's good to know. (laughs) So what is actually... What stimulates uh, clitoral orgasm in women? In women? Yeah. So women take a longer time to become engorged and mm. to become orgasmic, and she it's difficult for her. So she needs to have attention and she needs to have time and focus. And the partner, male or female partner, really needs to be attentive to the fact that this woman needs certain arousal, and she's the only one who can tell what exactly it is. But she needs more time mm. for her genitals to become lubricated and engorged. And she needs a lot of literal attention, either through hand, through mouth, through a toy. You know, I sell sex toys as well. I have a store. Yeah. So everyone go into my store, sure. Dr. Dr. Eve's store, and get some great vibes as well, and yeah. lubricants and condoms and 
wonderful sexual health product. So that's what people need to know, that it happens with the, whichever way, get your clitoris going. Mm. Okay. Uh, but for the men, what do they have to do? Sorry, I know it's kind of They have to spend time. They have to spend time going down on a woman if this is what she would mm. allow. Uh, because it always has to be consent with every single sexual act, very, very important, mm. or stimulating masturbating her or letting her masturbate herself. Um, and obviously, if they want vaginal penetration, that's cool. Mm. But once he's had his ejaculation, you know, just remember, she's got to get some attention. Yeah. She may not in any way have had her orgasm yet. So don't let her just go when she says, I'm okay, it's all right. She isn't. Yeah. Give her the time. Have your orgasm and go down on her, stimulate her, uh-huh. masturbate her, give her the orgasm around her clitoris that she requires. Mm. Yeah. Um, speaking of going down, there's kind of like a number, you know, there's, I'll tell you, there's more guys, at least with my age from what I know, there's more guys who are willing to get uh, a blowjob. To receive. Yeah, but then they wouldn't actually go down. Ouch. Yeah, mm. actually there's a large number of people like that. And unfortunately women allow that. Uh, yeah, they do. And there's actually a large number of people who wouldn't actually do that at all. And there's also a large number of women who wouldn't actually mm-hmm. give blowjobs. Who wouldn't, yeah. Who wouldn't. Okay. But, you know, there's no have-to-do list. Sure, 100%. There's yeah. no have-to-do list. Mm. And I think reciprocity is really important. And I really hate the idea of women on their knees giving men a blowjob and thinking that that's okay not to get anything back mm. for themselves. Uh, they should be saying, okay, my turn. This is what I want right now. Mm. There has to be reciprocity in, in any sexual exchange. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, we want to chip this balance, this get rid of this patriarchy and mm. sexism. So if a woman doesn't enjoy doing blowjobs, it's her right not to. I would hope that she would want to stimulate his genitals in some way or another. Mm. I don't like the idea of just penetration mm. being the only act that two people do. It just gets too boring and too pressurizing and not enough time for her to have an orgasm and it's just too it just it just becomes like the main feature yeah. where so much else is fun so much else of the body is fun to explore and to play with mm-hmm. um, so speaking of that um, what are your thoughts on like 50 shares of bread this is one of the subjects that the listeners brought yeah. to yeah. I think it was a, um, a wonderful way of opening up conversation oh. around sexuality around the world and it normalized a lot of women, so I'm pleased about that. Yeah. That women really felt they could talk about it and they could read this book openly mm. and not feel shameful. Uh, the BDSM aspect, I think it's kind of a byproduct of it. I think that women are fitting to women's eroticism, and a lot of women feel very turned on by the idea of being dominated or dominating. So that just kind of came out from that as well. But I think the main thing was that it really spoke to women and yeah. their sexuality in a very sex positive way and gave them a sense of control and also probably educated men around this is wow, this is really what women want. Mm. And I always just hoped that it would provoke conversation between couples. You know, that's the most important thing that couples would talk to each other. Sure. Uh, and speaking of men also, this is my personal question. There is a I read somewhere, I've read it a couple of times in books that kinda of say in like, especially in books that talks about longevity or life extension plans and stuff. Mm-hmm. They talk about male ejaculation being related to life expectancy mm-hmm. or view. 
your ability to live longer or stuff like that. Yeah, <coughs> that comes from an Eastern belief system, really, where there was the belief that if you ejaculated, you would lose brain cells. <laughs> so mm. there's this whole thing in the, the Taoist tradition and Tantra mm. is to learn to delay and to delay and to delay mm. um, and not to ejaculate and to keep all your sperm. And the, the keeping of sperm is ridiculous because the body produces three to 500 million sperm you know, with every ejaculation mm. and it keeps refreshing and keeps refreshing, which it needs to do. That's what's healthy. That's yeah. what the testes does. It's very important that, that sperm moves in and out all the time. Masturbation is good mm. because you're getting rid of old sperm and you're bringing in new sperm every single day. It's a great yeah. thing. Um, whether there's research on delaying, no. Mm. There is research, though, that the frequency of ejaculation is going to help prevent certain diseases, mm. which is pretty cool. Okay. Yeah, so that, I guess, in, in turn, would bring longevity. Yeah. But a lot of people enjoy the process of a tantra, which is you know, beautiful, mm. of sitting together and being very present and very connected and delaying and teasing and teasing mm. and doing what's called edging, yeah. edging yourself to orgasm but never really ejaculating. Sure. It's a lovely experience, but yeah. it's not something that you feel you should be pressured to have to do sure. or do it because there's a goal. Just do it because experience feels nice. Mm. So I'm going to throw two questions straight from the listeners. Yeah. Well. One is what kind of foods does uh, one has to take to elongate the ejaculation? This is men. And for women, uh, they turn about tests of vagina and what happens, what should they take to have a certain type of test uh, for their vaginas? Okay, so with, with food, mm-hmm. no food is going to help you to delay. Mm-hmm. Men have to accept that they what we call the latency period, the intravaginal latency period, that means from time of entry into the vagina to ejaculation, they're primed for three to five minutes. Okay. And that's like good enough. Mm. So take the pressure off. You don't want to be eating food or trying to delay. And if you can get into your head that she's not going to have an orgasm through vaginal penetration, mm. you can just relax and enjoy yourself. Okay. So food is nonsense. There's no evidence around that at all. all right. um, so men learn the art of delaying. They just learn the art of it sure. uh, with time as they get older. Uh, in terms of women and vaginas, oh my goodness. Um, let's just get rid of those stories that women's vaginas are too big or too loose or they smell. Mm. Uh, women should never be putting anything into the vaginas to tighten them. It's okay. dangerous. If they're going to douche or putting betadine or antiseptics or cleansing things, it's so bad because it erodes the inner lining of the vagina and that will give you a higher risk of HIV, AIDS, STIs. Okay. You never want to be doing that. So please, for the men, do not say to a woman, your vagina is too loose or why is so wet. Mm. Wet is a sign of arousal and fabulous, good sign. It's a good sign. Yeah. You want her to be wet. Others, she will be sore and painful and mm. tear with penetration. So that's how it has to happen. Yeah. And women have to be really comfortable with their vaginas. Mm. It's a canal. It's held up by muscles. And over time, the muscles loosen, but it doesn't mean she's got this big, wide vagina. Mm. Oh, so I guess the whole story about smells or tests is caution. If there is this bad smell, a bad taste, if there's pain, if there's bleeding, if there are any discharges, mm. she has an STI mm. or an infection and get treated. Yeah. It's not an indictment. It isn't a shaming of her. Well, what I mean there is just also like there seems to be there are stories on the internet of saying, oh, you can eat this and you're going to test like oh, X. Oh, no. 
you know, the, the, the only thing and else. Also, and also, yeah. men say, they would say that, oh, she tests like X or she tests like this oh, kind of thing. So gross. Like I, I don't fish. know. Like derogatory. No, 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 oh, in a good oh. way. Oh, in a good yeah. way. Yeah, so there's a thing of saying uh, one one's vagina tastes like apple or something. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's so true. That's one yeah, asking. Yeah. yeah, the food that we eat will determine your health. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to be eating um, meat and a lot of garlic and um, a lot of alcohol, mm. there's going to be acidity and you'll smell it and taste it in the semen as oh, well as right. in vaginal juices. Yeah. So you want to have, you know, lovely, healthy fruit and vegetables and food in you so that your whole body sure. just is healthy. But actually, I mean, this is the idea of naming women's vaginas or smell. I mean, each woman has such a unique smell and taste. Sure. And also depends on her menstrual cycle. It's yeah. going to change all the time. Okay. You never want to shame women. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't want to waste the time. So yeah, it's like I have so, so many questions, but I guess if the audience want to ask something, we we'll have to come back again. Sure, that's awesome. Be... Or they can connect with me on Doctor Eve. Yeah, sure. On my Facebook page and on Twitter. Yeah. So get me there, Doctor Eve, on Facebook. Yeah. And on my website, DrEve.co.za, and on Twitter. I'll put all the links in the Divine. description, and they'll be able to find okay. you. Okay. All right. Thanks for your time. Thank you. So interesting. Thanks for listening and right before you go, just want to remind you, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, I say welcome and just remember one more important thing before you leave is to subscribe to the podcast. So you can do that uh, on iTunes or the podcast app, you can just search The Grave Podcast and you subscribe or from the website where you're listening to this uh, on gravejabesi.com on the right hand side of the page you will find a text box where it says subscribe to the podcast and you just put in your email address and that means every single time that i release a new podcast you'll be able to be notified or receive the podcast through your email address directly which means you don't have to go and search for it every single time that it's out and remember to check out the rest of the episodes as well the previous ones really cool guests there and with that note Thanks again for listening. You can leave uh, some comments in the comment box on whatever platform you're listening to this, on the podcast website or on iTunes, on Stitcher, wherever. Otherwise, have fun. I look forward to be with you again on another episode where I bring in another cool person and maybe we could learn something again. Stay awesome.